oh, I did that whole thing without with the mute button on. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to redo that. Hello, and Hi, welcome everyone. to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming, presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. The best part is, is now I've got practice at reading it. I'm your host, Trevor Bettis, and with me each week are two amazing people that know way more about this than I ever will. Mitra Jordan is a registered clinical counselor with a counseling and psychotherapy practice in Victoria, BC. Rafael Bucamazzo, aka Dr. B, is the clinical director of Take This and Dabney on uh, on Clinical Role. Still messed it up. Uh, they'll be talking about mental health in these unprecedented times, as well as how gaming affects us. If you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I might read to them later. But before that, our topic today is gaming and social interactions. And for more on that, I pass it over to Mitra and Dr. B. Well, uh, I, I, apparently we have an echo. Yeah. Oh, we have an echo? That's on. even better. Why not? You know, that's great. Cool. Um, we're gonna do that one. Is there an echo now? Uh, yes. Is there? There's still an echo. There's still. He, this guy's interfering with things. Oh, I feel well, sure. Yeah, yeah. Stranger <laughs> Doss. Strange Doss was a. It did exactly what I was about to do. I am the luckiest man, 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 man on the face, 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 face. Um. Oh, it's I better. Don't know why it's doing? It's better now. Apparently uh, fixed. Yes. Okay, cool. Perfect. Well, I won't be grabbing the stream audio today. So now that you've gotten the voice of God telling you the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Someone says, Trevor is no longer a stadium announcer. Very good. <laughs> Welcome to Champions. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah. Dr. B, Mitra, who are you and uh, why are you so awesome? Ooh. Uh, well, I'm a registered <laughs> clinical counselor working out of Victoria, B.C., um, I don't know why I'm awesome. I'll leave that to others to judge. <laughs> okay. Well, should, but, we, no, hold, should we answer this for yeah. each other? Sure. Let's yeah, do okay. it. So I will jump in and say why Mitra is awesome. Mitra brings a really interesting and fantastic multicultural lens uh, to oh. uh, to the practice of psychology that we don't often see. Uh, for those of you who don't necessarily know the history of psychology, it's really rooted in Western European and often male Western European experiences. And um, that's something, thankfully, that's getting more of a lens. And with a lot of um, erudite grace, Mitra brings that lens to a lot of what we talk about. Wow. <laughs> Who is this person? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Dr. B is... Oh, also stop. Finger puppets. <laughs> I love finger puppets. <laughs> Ask my kids. I've been using finger puppets their whole life <laughs> when they were very little. I even had made up ones sometimes where it's like... Whoa, 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 you know, like that. Anyway, um, but to the point, Dr. B is clinical director at Take This, but well before that, Dr. B had... Uh, has a doctorate in psychology. He is a brilliant researcher. He also teaches about how to uh, how clinicians like myself can use D and D to help their clients. He's extremely knowledgeable in the world of games, video games, and mental health. And he brings all of that together in this also wonderfully erudite and clear package. Um, in other words, he explains it for those of us at home how to clearly understand both the connection and the value of games and how to better understand our own mental health challenges. 
See, I was going to say it was all neatly tied up in a neat bow tie. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Although I really wish he'd left the hats where they were. But you know, I you know, can't I have everything. the Mickey ears. The Mickey Mouse oh. hats. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that uh, that was a lovely intro for both of you. I, I think that was a great way to do that. Um, so uh, the gaming and social interactions, where do you all want to start with that? Um... I don't know. Part of me just part of me wants to we we didn't we didn't talk about this in our prep call yesterday, but part of me wants to debunk a couple of myths. Oh, okay. 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 First of all, first of all, games do not make you violent. Okay? <laughs> yes. The, yes. We can get into a lot of the reasons why the violence research is flawed. But <laughs> One of the stats that I really like to to cite at people is that since like 1995 in the United States, it, game sales have gone up like 600% adjusted for inflation. I haven't looked at that stat in the last month, but it's like 600% adjusted for inflation. And violent crime has gone down roughly 23%. If games cause violent crime... We have very different definitions of the word cause. <laughs> <laughs> I I, re I remember there was an episode of uh it was so it was one of the Law and Orders and it was about like some they were like following this killer and they're like oh he played video games we'll figure out you know the crimes that he's gonna do by the video games he's playing I'm like like this episode is making me want to be more violent than any GTA <laughs> I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> The, eh. So we have these things called ethics, all right? And because of ethics, we can't just ha hand kids knives and just see if they stab each other after playing video games. Um, and so we have to come up with these approximations for real-world violent behavior. And my favorite one's called the hot sauce paradigm, where if, you know, somebody's playing uh, somebody's playing a violent video game and the belief is if they load up the hot sauce more to hand to someone, they'll be more violent. But the problem is that these studies are quite often not looking at long-term violent behavior as opposed to momentary acts of quote-unquote aggression, which could be m better linked to things like momentary frustration. And also, just if it was my best friend on the end of the hot sauce, I'm loading it up. I don't care what I just did. I mean, he would do the same thing to me. We know this. So yeah, I I agree with that. My 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 best friend would do the exact same thing. Right? It's like, oh, this is hot sauce. <laughs> Load that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you go back far enough, people had all kinds of judgments about how damaging books could be. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And then they no, had Plato all kinds of writing. worries around TV. You know, so I think anytime we have a new media, you have lots of judgment around it. I remember a fairly um, eminent child psychologist saying that, yeah, video games could really make you dysregulated. I feel, and I, I was thinking, yeah, but which genre are we talking about here? Because a book can make you dysregulated. I mean, I read the Amityville Horror when I was 13, and trust me, I was dysregulated for like a week. I have oh, a serious God. imagination, and I'd be like, there are red eyes, like right behind <laughs> that curtain over there in the middle of the night, like freaking terrified here, you know? So, I mean, lots of things, lots of, um, of subject matter in media can be dysregulating, and it has very little to do with the genre. So... Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, the, if but at this point, I mean, we're it's a numbers game um, that. <laughs> The, the perpetrator played video games. Okay, Betty also drank water. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's look for all water drinkers. I, I remember in high school, I heard about a kid that stole his dad's car, got chased by the cops, got out of that car, uh, stopped someone else, pulled them out of their car, kept going, and the cops finally stopped. And when they stopped, they're like, why did you do it? He's like, because I play GTA. And then his parents tried to sue Rockstar North, and yeah. the judge literally laughed it out of the court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it's just, that's one of those myths that, um, the, the term that's often thrown about uh, is called moral panic. It was a term created by a writer by the name of Stanley Cohen um, in his book, Moral Panic in I think 1973 mm -hmm. um, and he talked largely about the mods and the rockers in England <laughs> oh no oh I know not those rockers I you know I'll that that, that Beatles music and all the <laughs> all the damage it causes with such lyrics as I want to hold your hand um, yeah real devil worship kind of things right <laughs> yep yep um <laughs> oh god well the the other one uh the other one uh, I I want to I want to dis uh, debunk really, and this is a large crux of what we're talking about today is the idea of video gamers as asocial. I don't want to say antisocial because clinically speaking, for those of you who are playing the home game, antisocial doesn't mean you don't like being around people in a clinical sense. It means you violate the rights of others, criminal behavior. So that the idea of gamers as asocial, isolated pasty living in mom's basement that's an economic thing at this point and it's just practical all right um so it it's not true games are mm -hmm. inherently social it i just yeah. i want people to take this away from take it that away from this games are inherently social and there are so many benefits yeah. and i'm gonna stop you know just soapboxing into the camera and give mitra a chance to talk <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Games are inherently social and they're also really great for people to develop social skills. They're also a really great forum for people to be able to uh, explore and experiment with parts of themselves that they otherwise might feel too anxious to bring into their daily life. Um, and I've seen numerous instances where um, people try out different ways of behaving, maybe more social ways of behaving, maybe they tell more jokes, maybe they become a leader in their guild if they're playing a game that has a group component like that to it. Um, and it makes a huge difference to their lives because then they can feel what it's like to be that person without the anxiety that might otherwise be really difficult if they're in person mm -hmm. uh, with people. They can feel kind of safe because they're in their own space. They can take breaks um, and they can come back and be that leader or that joker or that um, bard, you know, mm -hmm. whoever they, they find their voice within the context of the games. I, I was telling you both yesterday that like I wouldn't have the personality that I do if it weren't for getting Xbox Live in junior year of high school and Halo 2 being such a big thing. Like I played on there with a bunch of regular friends and I got to try out being someone who I thought I wanted to be, but I, I just got to be them. I'm also realizing that the window is now just completely blowing me out and I'm, I look like a ghost. Anywho, um, <laughs> but like, because of that, I got to try out, you know, 
it's like, okay, I think this is my kind of humor. Oh, people are responding to that. Okay, that's my humor um, and my, my way of talking and everything like that. And then once that group kind of fell apart and I got into college, I just took that into college and then suddenly found that I had a whole new group of friends, some of which I still have today. And it was all because I played Halo 2, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it may sound weird to someone who, who is not a game player who doesn't engage in online worlds. But I think that it is absolutely true. It's certainly true for my life with my kids as well. You know, we used to play World of Warcraft together and we had people from all over the world in our guild. And one of the really beautiful things about that experience was it didn't matter how old you were. You know, we mm -hmm. had teens, we had people in their 60s and 70s, and we all kind of came together. And I think that breaking of barriers is another key value that playing games brings because those 16-year-olds um, probably didn't think that they would necessarily have much in common with a 40-year-old woman, but it turned out that they did. And not only that, but they had some wonderful things to teach me about how to better <laughs> play the game. And so it ended up being a really um, enjoyable, valuable experience. I'm still in touch with some of them today. No longer 16, I, married with kids of their own, oh actually. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, well, well, yeah. One of the funny things for me is I've had this voice since I was 15. Mm -hmm. So when I was like, I'm a 15-year-old. They're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Ask your manager. Oh, no, I did. But I was like, you know, 12 or something like that and then cracking all over the place. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the, even you know, and I, I see some some chat. Well, in the chat, uh, talking mm -hmm. about people who play single player games. One of the one of the myths that we hear all the time, and you know, back when I used to work with people, because for those of you who have never watched this before, I do policy and education exclusively now. I don't work with clients, um, but back when I did. Um, one of the biggest concerns that parents would come in with is that games were essentially a time waster, even the single player games. And I know, Mitra, you you and I have talked about this. Like, wh yeah. what, what are some of the common experiences uh, that people come in with? I think the underlying challenge for parents is particularly if they aren't playing games themselves, or joining their children in their gameplay, and they often aren't, is the they don't understand what's going on and they don't understand what their kids are doing. And it's not a world they necessarily inhabited themselves um, growing up. And so that's why they think of it as a time waster. They're mystified by why their kids would spend so much time doing this thing. And particularly in games where you're acquiring digital goods in the sense that you're acquiring armor, you're getting more powerful, you're, you know, going up levels, they just don't get it. And they don't necessarily see that this is actually teaching their kids so much about um, getting mastery in something, about team play, about all of that. So what I see is this kind of mystification and, you know, underlying upset about their role as parents in that they don't feel that they're making responsible decisions. They're letting the game babysit or the screen babysit their children and that they're therefore uh, being neglectful. So that's often an underlying concern to all of the other stuff that goes along with it. 
So, and nothing could be further from the truth, in my opinion. Obviously, if your kid is using games to the, to exclusively as their go-to and their coping mechanism, that's something to look at. What's yeah. happening? You know, what's missing? Um, and of course, currently now, thanks to coronavirus, we really do need to look at how much are our kids socializing online? What are they learning from that? Let's engage with them about the game. Let's better understand what's happening. One yeah. of the one, I, it's funny you mentioned some of this stuff that um, I'm actually, uh, as part of something Take This is doing next month, our research director, Dr. Rachel Cohort, uh, and I are leading a series of parent trainings. And in my week of the parent trainings, I'm talking about some of the social emotional learning skills that are potentially present in various games mm -hmm. um social games especially because you know this is a, this is on parenting and we're going to talk about ways to use games to connect with your family but even single player games one of my absolute favorite games that i play on my own is called death squared which is way <laughs> funnier than it sounds and it's where you have to simultaneously uh operating on both both joypads um, move cubes around a trap-laden puzzle scape, and if you move one of them wrong, the other one dies. And you have to do this all simultaneously. And you know, you you understand enough about how the brain works to know. I mean, how much you know, how much of the uh, cross communication is going on yeah, to do that exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it, and so it, it's. It, it, it's amazing to me that so many parents just and caregivers and teachers and even even professionals, because there was some there was a, some survey data that came out of Stetson University, I think, in 2015, that at the time, roughly one out of nine clinicians identified as gamers. When you've got hmm. over 200 million people playing video games in this in the United States. That is a huge discrepancy in terms of understanding the culture of things. And I just, God, I wish parents would just get away from the idea of time, it, games as a time waster. There's so much richness there. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, again, I, I told you guys yesterday, but I'm, I'm going to say for the chat, like, one of the thing, one of the moments for me as a kid that was kind of nice and kind of like, oh, I, it was for me, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm not actually wasting time like everybody says, is when my grandfather was uh, and I were in the car, we were driving back from dinner and I had Pokemon on my Game Boy Pocket and I had my player's guide out on my lap and he looks down at me and just goes, oh my God, you're reading. And that was that's a yeah. big thing for me. Like I didn't read as a kid. Like I would legit figure out ways to pretend I read the book for a book report. Like I, I, I was, I was way more interested in figuring out how to get out of it than to actually do it. And so when he saw me sitting there reading, he was like, I, I don't care. I, and you can play all these one. If you're reading, that's great. That's all that you can just keep doing that. You're not wasting time. And so that as a kid, that was the first time I was like, oh, okay. I don't have to be ashamed of this. I'm doing something good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a moment for kids when they're like, wait a second, my parents don't. They're like, they're okay with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up reading comics. It was a big thing. Like, I spent a lot of time reading comics. Um, my eldest pretty much learned to read, I think, with games manuals like Pokemon and Mario, and a bunch of the other games he liked. Because at that point, that's kind of a big thing. Now, mm -hmm. of course, it's all online anyway. But yeah, <laughs> that was a huge factor in him learning to read, for sure. 
So, well, one of the yeah. one of the other things that um, you know we talked we talked about yesterday is the idea of ways that game and you know Trevor you brought this up a little bit already ways that games help us kind of find our way in the world one an mm-hmm. example i i tell people all the time is a, you know i'm autistic i'm very open about that fact and i didn't know that until my mid 30s um everybody else spotted it long before i did um including some of the kids i worked with who were like you're autistic right and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> um and the like Dungeons and Dragons especially gave me this safe framework where without dire consequences I could try on and practice different social roles. Mm-hmm. Video games did the same thing. You know, I loved tape I I loved single player RPGs for that reason. I could try out different, you know, hats classes whatever Mm -hmm. and figure out how i wanted to be in the world and but the cool thing was especially with dungeons and dragons what i realized eventually is that all the character decisions were coming from me Mm -hmm. all the things i was doing was coming from me and if i could do that at the gaming table why couldn't i do that outside of the gaming table. So I started to externalize those skills that I was learning in the games. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say Final Fantasy 2 in the United States was a big influence on my my code of ethics that um, you know, got to save things and be all Well, that, good. that's actually something I kind of wanted to to talk about real quick cuz I saw it in the chat was about single player games and it's like we we do have social interactions with multiplayer games in Dungeons and Dragons, but I do think that there is something to be said about single player games also helping you figure out social interactions at a young age, like especially with RPGs now that have just you know uh, three paragraphs of dialogue options to say, um, and you can try out seeing like okay, I'm gonna be a jerk to this person, and then you're a jerk to them, and then you're like, oh, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was me with Fable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Knights of the Old Republic or yeah. Empire, all the Bioware games. That, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Those were so hard to do as dark side playthroughs for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So guilty. 100%. So guilty. <laughs> yeah, I remember this one moment in, in WoW where my character had to torture someone. It felt really gross, you know, but I think that's the that that's and there are games that are actually designed to do this um, where you actually get to experience things from that perspective of being like violent or sociopathic or, you know, and, and it's that's OK. Like, I think that's that's kind of an important way to ask yourself to have that sort of feedback within yourself. Um, I'm noticing that, that there's um this question of not just single player games um, and those not being somehow as social, mm-hmm. um, but also the length of time people play is is worrying sometimes, both mm-hmm. for parents and those watching the game. So addressing the single player game piece first, um, people often discuss single player games together, like after the yeah. fact or while they're playing them. And people enjoy watching someone else doing a playthrough of a game. Um, you know, there's so many playthroughs on Twitch, on YouTube, all over the place. And we still seem to enjoy engaging with people that way. And there's often communities that build up around these playthroughs. So there is that. 
uh, as well as just talking with our friends. And then in the multiplayer games, um, the beauty of that is having to work with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the worry around length of time, um, it's really hard in a multiplayer game when you're trying to do something like uh, a raid or a dungeon or any of these more coordinated, larger scale events. It is hard to do those in a short time. And I think it's helpful for parents and those who don't play as much to kind of instead of making a judgment, like check in with the person playing, like what's going on? Okay, then what's your availability? And how can we make sure that our other needs outside of these game worlds get met as well? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm not at all going to say a football game is as long as a raid, but like I remember as a kid being like, Grandpa, I am hungry. And he's like, hold on, it's almost halftime. But then later on, when he's just like, kid, it's time to eat. And I'm just like, I got to take a picture of the Snorlax or I'm going to miss this whole level. And he's like, I don't understand. And I'm like, "Who? we just had this conversation <laughs> <Yeah>. the other <laughs> way. <laughs> What's a Snorlax? Oh, fourth down. Got to go. <laughs> how dare they throw? How dare they do a fake pun on fourth down? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This is this is a really big aside. I had a friend one time who found D and D to just be the nerdiest thing. He didn't want anything associated with it. We'd start talking about. It, he'd walk away. Then one time he shows up to our group and he's just like, "Dude, my fantasy football team is doing so good. They did this," and he's going through the whole thing. And I'm just like, "Oh yeah, no, that's just like last weekend when Kyle got a critical hit against a red dragon and uh, won the whole thing for the whole party." And he goes, "What?" And I go, "Now you know how I feel." Yeah, I know it's cliche, but fantasy football is basically D and D for the kids who used to beat me up. It is. Strahd oh God, Strahd's out again. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's talk about my feelings. All right. Uh, but but I saw at the beginning of, of Meacher's thing back there, Doctor B. You looked like you were stretching to say something. Oh yeah. There. Oh, let's talk about this. This is the feeling time. You know, the idea of time. First of all. Um, You brought up the example of football and multiplayer games, and this is what a lot of caregivers, parents, teachers don't realize, is these raids are akin to football practice, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you understand where, where, what your kids are doing, uh, pulling the plug on them because they're playing too much, just instantaneously pulling the plug, that's the, that is the same as driving to football practice and pulling them out. That that yeah. is not just I mean that that is going to have social ramifications for your kid. Now suddenly mm-hmm. they're less reliable. Mm-hmm. They are they and they're standing within their friend group and online friend groups are those are real relationships. They don't have yeah. all of the same benefits as in person interactions. They actually have some additional benefits that in-person interactions don't but the idea of just instantaneously pulling them out you would probably never do that at baseball practice wrestling practice anything like that any other team sport and if you consider these multiplayer games these raids that people are regularly going on scheduling reliability Mm -hmm. accountability team building skills yeah yeah well the 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 other thing with that and and I, I I don't know how it is nowadays because I'm 33 years old I haven't been in high school and my mom's pulled me away from a game that long uh, now when I have to leave a game it's because my cat got stuck in the cabinet or something but it it's like the weird thing for me back then was that like yeah you're right if if I was at little league practice and my mom pulled up and she's like get in the car now people would be like who died is everything okay 
and there would be concern and panic. But in video games, when it was like, guys, I got to go. My mom's telling me I got to get off. Everyone's like, yeah, it's a, it's okay. We get it. Because like that was the thing. That was expected. That was the norm of like, yeah, we get it. You know, nobody, you, you know, they, they want you to stop playing. We get it. But that's different now. I mean, that that's it's different. Well, I mean, especially you've got these long... I can't play certain games anymore <laughs> because they're not... I don't have the time to play certain games mm-hmm. anymore. Like, I played Destiny 2 when it first came out, and I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Suddenly, a week later, everybody else is at power max level. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I yep. was reading. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't keep up with that, but... Um, the the complexity of certain games and the commitment involved for certain games uh, and the team building aspects involved in certain games are are amazing to me. And I I I would be mortified for a parent or a teacher to do that in most other contexts. It would just be it would be unheard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just take your take your your kids the goalie in the soccer game. You're angry with them because they didn't do their homework, so you pull them out of the game. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And this is the big piece, right? It's the devaluing of what is a resource to your child. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's a a problem because you're disconnected from your kid then and you're not actually recognizing and valuing their resources. And yet you still expect them to recognize and value yours so that when you tell your kid, you know, this is an important thing in the household and we all need to do our part. This is a big game. Yeah, right? (laughs) And then your kid's like, yeah, but like you don't care about my world. Mm-hmm. So I think obviously there's a balance as parents. I have had three kids. Um, I do expect them to do chores and to help out and to be part of the family, etc. But part of that is also recognizing and acknowledging their time and how they want to use it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if games were getting in the way of their chores or their homework or occasionally family time or the dinner table, if you know, we're all sitting down together, which we do a few times a week. Um, we don't do it every night. No. Um, but then I would I would be like, yeah, what's going on? Why is this your only resource? I want my kids to have a balanced life. And to me, that means like, let's go for multiple resources. Let's look at your creativity. Let's look at some time outdoors or your physical health, right? Let's look at you learning adult skills that you're going to need when you do move out finally when there's no coronavirus and my eldest can get on with the things he'd like to do. <laughs> but, you know, but but in the meantime, while you have your kids at home, there is this piece around really valuing their hobbies, their life, their choices, what they're interested in. Yeah. Because that's what we all expect from our, you know, most connected relationships is that somebody is going to respect and value those things which are important to me. And what are we teaching our kids if we're saying, oh no, you should expect to have relationships where people don't actually respect and value those things that you enjoy doing with your time. Absolutely. That's a problem. Absolutely. And I, I, God, this is just, it's hearkening back to so many conversations I've had with teachers and parents and whatnot. This, this idea of individuation as a developmental milestone mm-hmm. learning to be an autonomous person away from um uh, away from your parents and one of the one of the questions i used to ask a lot of them is okay so you're concerned that your kid is playing all just spending all of their free time playing these video games yeah okay but they're still doing their homework yeah they're still 
they're meeting with friends, admittedly online, but they're meeting with friends, yeah? They're doing all their chores at home, yeah? So you're concerned that your child is using their free time in a way that they want instead of how you want. And it's yeah. not interfering in any way. And that was always I, an awkward conversation because free time, I mean, as an adult, you think about it, you get to use your free time however you want. When it, mm -hmm. as long as it's not interfering with other things. And uh, boy, this is just so many soapboxes for me. I'm just gonna. Yeah. Um, real quick before we keep going, let me do the mid-show disclaimer just to remind uh, our viewers and listeners, uh, uh, you know, the behind-the-scenes thing for this. Um, Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, and but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. Uh, we assume no liability. Right, we assume no liability uh, for the use of this information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your best judgment. Now. What I wanted to do real quick is uh, someone in the chat, and I'm sorry, I, I, I missed it now, was talking about it being about balance. And I think that is something to kind of circle back on. We're yeah. not saying just let kids play games all the freaking no. time. No. It, it, yeah, no, no. no. Like, no. Yeah. Stuff got to get I, done. Yeah. So yeah. I want to address this because it comes up a lot with clients. And it feels like when I am pro games in any way, and I have to be so careful about this because what comes up is this idea that because I'm pro games, I'm not seeing my client's point of view, which is the parent point of view in this instance. Um, my younger clients love it and really <laughs> appreciate that I get it. But I think that as soon as it sounds, I think this is because we have this really um, opposition. We have this idea that I'm not saying this very well. There's an extreme perspective here where either you're for it or you're against it. And and there's very little talk about the middle road around mm -hmm. kids and games. So as soon as I, as a professional, say, well, I think it's great that they're doing all this stuff online with their friends and so on, it feels like I must then be against the parent who's striving for balance. And I've seen it come up in the chat a couple of times. Please understand that as a parent... And as a clinician, I hugely strive for balance. I think it's, it is really important that as kids get older, um, even if they're not adults, but they're living in your home, maybe that some of them are young adults, it is important that we teach them how to have balance in their lives. And that mm -hmm. means doing the chores. You know, as you get older, you get more responsibility. And that's an important piece of this. No, I don't want my child playing games till two in the morning if they have school the next day, even if yeah. it's virtual school, right? Yeah. I want to teach them that, no, that's going to impact your life negatively and you're going to be super tired. Well, it, it it's also like, it's not just video games. Like if a kid was like, I'm going to shoot hoops in the driveway until 2 a.m. Yes. on a school, I'd be like, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to go to football practice till 2 a.m. every night. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, what? Mm, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> the same rules apply in that I have an expectation that they're going to gain the tools and skills to do their lives mm -hmm. and that they're going to figure out where in that 
games and really most forms of technology fit. Yeah. Um, there was a local school that decided to take away kids' cell phones. And at first, this sounded like a great idea to a lot of parents that, okay, during the day, they're not going to be distracted by their cell phones, blah, blah, blah. Um, what they realized was that, oh, I now can't call my kid before pickup. I now can't text them to make sure that they're going to be, you know, I needed to remind them about that doctor's appointment they need to walk to, and now I suddenly can't. Mm-hmm. Because your technology is so much more than entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a crucial piece here. Your kid is going to be sitting at their computer to do their schoolwork or to play League of Legends. Yeah. We mm-hmm. want them to self-regulate around mm-hmm. how they do this. Right. And by creating a, I'm going to confiscate this thing, we're not allowing for that regulation to take place. Mm-hmm. They have to learn how to figure it out and we have to side with them and, of course, take a stand, particularly when they're younger, on a balance. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's it. this is something I, I get heated about because... Me too. Uh, because, well, because, because of what Mitra brought up, that this isn't a this isn't a dichotomous you're for us or you're against you're against us type of thing that one of the things i i hope as gamers are getting older and at this point the average gamer uh based on data uh, you know survey data is 36 um as gamers have gotten older, one of my hopes is that we can just move beyond the moral panic that I, the idea that games are bad or, you know, that games are good in all ways. That with any advent of new technology, there are upsides and there are downsides. And we have to honestly be able to address both of them in order to appropriately teach the next generation the skills to self-regulate. This, uh, and that's... God, just like Mitra said, let's get beyond this dichotomous thinking of good or bad. If you're pro games, you're you know you're against parenting. It's just not. It doesn't. It's not that mm-hmm. simple. I also, I, I like to point out to people, I'm like, you know, there's like gamers that have kids, right? Like, you, you, they can't be against themselves, <laughs> 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 and, and they've they've seemed to work out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, um yeah. <laughs> I, I thought this would be a good uh, time to transition to one other uh, point that we wanted to hit uh, because I did see it in the chat at one point, which is distraction versus avoidance. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, Mitra, you want to you want to start on that one? Sure, sure. So actually, you know what? No, Doctor B, you had a fantastic. You very quickly yesterday oh. um, summed up the difference between the two. Do you want to do that first? Yeah, sure. Um, so distraction and avoidance behavior on the outside can look the same. All right, that's the that's the whole bugaboo and why conver- really honest conversations have to happen with people the, about their behaviors if you're concerned at all. You know, uh, you know that's why therapists are so great at doing things and i recommend talking to therapists if you ever have concerns about this um and but the as a broad broad topic distraction behaviors are just saying you know what i can handle what i need to handle just not right now i'm gonna take a break whereas avoidance behaviors are going la 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 i can't do this la 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 but outwardly, the behavior may look the same, and that's a big deal. Um, yeah. And that's where a lot of exploration 
happens is the motivations for those behaviors. And distraction behaviors are real healthy. We all do it. Avoidance. <laughs> exactly. So if someone is has done, has had a really tough day, right? They've come home, they're exhausted, you know, they've had a busy six hours or eight hours at school or work, and they just need a break. And it's not interfering with their responsibilities. Like they still get dinner mm -hmm. or do the things that they have to do, but they just need to check out for a while um, and play a game or read a book or whatever it is they're doing. Um, that is a healthy use of distraction. That's not avoiding from the responsibilities that they have, but it's taking time out to self-regulate. So distraction is a great tool for regulation mm -hmm. in that way. And I'll often talk with people about this. You know what? If you've done everything you can and now you're just super anxious and worried about something, but there's really nothing you can do to change the situation, you've done all the things that you can do, you're waiting, for example, for the results of a job interview or you've done the exam and now you're just having to sit around waiting for the results. It's okay to distract. That's a great time to distract. It'll help soothe you a little bit. It'll help give you something else. And distraction is often where we can engage with a resource that's actually really good for us, whether that be a game, a book, you know, a cup of tea, you know, a little bit of something creative. That's what we're using it for. If we're avoidant, we're, yeah, we're not functioning. I'm just never leaving the house, right? Right. That's, a, that's not healthy. Let's figure out how you can leave the house. Do you need company? Do you need, you know, a friend? Do you need to be driving? Do you need to, like, look at the things you can do to make that thing manageable. And sometimes a little distraction along the way. I'll go for a walk and I'll take my dog with me. And the dog will distract me from being worried about who I'll run into. You see what I'm saying? As yeah. opposed mm -hmm. to I'm just never leaving the house. So that's how we can use distraction as a healthy tool. And well, it and doesn't I, become avoidant. This was just brought up in the chat that um, mm. the idea of using this stuff when you're overwhelmed. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm autistic and I do that because games can be really immersive for me um, when I'm overwhelmed and I need to kind of let the emotions pass to the point that they're not so loud and I can actually process what I'm feeling. I mean, part, but part of the part of the challenge is, and I, I want to break away from the idea of games as this monolithic construct, because not all games are the same. Um, some people, and, and this is really individualized, some people have different challenges or different immersion levels with different games. Like I played World of Warcraft one time, okay? One time. <laughs> It was in grad school. My friend was like, hey, you should try this. And I did. And when I looked up at the clock and it was eight hours later, I just went, oh, no. Oh, no, no. I can't play this. Oh, this is a terrible idea. I yep. cannot play this. And But that's me. Other people can pick that up and put it down. It, it turns out, you know... Aut you know, with my autism, counting, level progression, um, building things are kind of a hyper-focused thing for me. And so World of Warcraft, not a good, not a good idea for me. Um, but that's deeply personal and gets into some of what Mitra is saying of having conversations with self, with a therapist, with, with whomever to figure out the motivator behind certain behaviors and where they may or may not, in, you know, distract. Exactly. I, I also played World of Warcraft for many years, in fact. 
Um, man, Shadowlands dropped and I still haven't had a chance to <laughs> And I miss it. Um, but yeah, I think you really have to know yourself. Um, and, and that's where I think uh, having good friends or family members or a therapist just kind of help you look at that. What is happening when you're using games? Is it distraction? Is it avoidance? Where's the value? What are you learning? Um, because it's not as simple as this is just all a bad idea, right? That game or particular MMO might not be the best idea for you. It's not true. for me. MMOs that's are a okay. terrible that's idea really for me. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, I because I have ADHD, I definitely uh, have been known to struggle with hyperfocus. On the plus side, it's really helped me understand. You know, you'll hear people say things like. Well, if they can focus on this, why is it so hard to focus on that? Oh, ADHD doesn't yeah. work that way, people. Nope. <laughs> you know? I heard that so many <laughs> times right? as a kid. <laughs> why don't they just apply themselves? One of my favorite moments of that, I was reading, um, uh, like, again, reading was rough for me. And so when I found a book that I dove into, it was a big deal for me. Yeah. And uh, the Halo novels did that for me and i hadn't even played the games yet i was just like oh i don't have an xbox i can read a book and get it so i was obsessively reading those through class and like i remember my english teacher was like why aren't you reading what i assigned i'm like because it's about a boring french dude waiting for another boring french dude this is about halo halo guns and aliens and cool <laughs> vladimir and estragon master chief <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. yeah waiting for Plasma Sword, waiting for Godot. Does he ever show <laughs> <laughs> that Plasma Sword? Yeah, no. So, so yeah, I, I, I know plenty of times where like I was focused on uh, a genre book, and they're like, "Well, why can't you read this?" I'm like, "It doesn't interest me," and I can't stress to you enough how much when something doesn't interest me, I will drop it like a sack of potatoes. Like it's yeah. just gone. Yeah. I think that's a key piece of this, you know, as well in terms of understanding yourself and what's going to actually engage you and what will engage your kids. Just really grasping that around games. If a game is going to get your kid to read, fabulous. If there's a book that engages in that same world, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, do we want to teach them balance? Yes, of course, because that's a key part of surviving in the world is being able to do that task switching, which can be very difficult for some people. I know it was hugely and still is a challenge for me. I have to talk myself down from not reading a book till four in the morning. People like, <laughs> you know, is that any better? Like, come on, let's think about that. It's, it's, it's not actually materially a different experience then, you know, um, I will so, say, though, between my wife playing a game till 4 a.m. or reading a book till 4 a.m., one is a lot easier for me to sleep through. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I call, call this out real quick. Babylon Ranger in the chat said, and the third boring French dude never even shows up anyways. Well, thanks for spoiling it. I never got through that play. <laughs> What's funny is, as an adult, I really liked it. But, um, no, the yeah, the the having the hyper focus things on one thing and especially like in gaming and it i i know as a as a teenager distinguishing between me having a hyper focus on that and it being a distraction or an avoidance was i didn't get it i didn't understand yeah. when i was using it for what 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I probably didn't know until like my mid twenties that I, where I realized like, oh, that might be what I'm doing. <laughs> what, you mean when your frontal lobe fully developed? Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a question that I kind of want to address in the chat with ADHD. How do you regulate having to do things you have no interest in? That is Oof. absolutely a huge challenge oh. with ADHD. Um, I, I think that um, Dr. B has a partner who has a fantastic YouTube channel uh, called How, How to ADHD. It, yeah. I've, I've recommended it a couple of times. I think it's a, it's a wonderful resource. If And I can't speak as a clinician to this in this context here that we're in, but I can tell you that for me, um, my Apple Watch <laughs> has been really helpful. I use timers. Um, I really, it's the most helpful thing actually has been to acknowledge when I'm doing a task I have no interest in. Um, paperwork's uh, always a challenge for me. Um, I have to make sure that I really speak very firmly to myself to get certain <laughs> things done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, one, one of the things that I will do is like I will straight up parenting myself. I'm like, yeah. you don't get to do that thing you're obsessed with right now until this boring crap gets done. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. I, yeah, no. It, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go. I, I do environmental management, basically contingency control, because I it's so easy for me. Um, it's so easy for me to get distracted because I, well, you know, a lot of folks on the autism spectrum in the DSM, it's actually, they say that just assume we have ADHD like symptoms, just assume it. You often don't need to diagnose them separately. Just assume. Mm. Um, but so what I do is I set routines. Routines are so, so amazingly helpful for me. Like I am up at a certain time. I'm doing a certain task by a certain time and if I don't stick to that routine, it's an avalanche effect for me through the rest of the day. It's way harder for me to get back onto track than to, to, than to be with that routine in the first place. Um, but I also do things like put, um, I, I put various website lockers on my computer and program lockers for certain hours of the day because I, I part of what I do for a living is play games. And so it's real easy just to, oh, double click. Ah, oh, Borderlands. <laughs> what? What do you mean I'm not working on that thing I was supposed to be working on? I'm getting a new, new epic loot. Yeah. Oh, no. Get, getting a, uh, a, a, a high state or high in PC and doing all my work on here and then getting a text from my friends like, hey, that uh, really rare mod is up in Destiny 2 right now. You can just go grab it. And I'm just like, oh, I could just go in and get it real quick. Oh, no, I'm doing a strike. No! <laughs> <laughs> Strad has decided that he needs a video game. He's listening to this conversation with great interest. And he's like, oh, this could be. I'm a little Sorry, slave, all the people in Morovia. <laughs> Morovia? It's Morovia, but I like Morovia. What? Strad approves of the idea of yeah, it's Morovia. The to Morovia. It's Morovia. <laughs> Moreover, <laughs> I'll be everywhere now. Yeah. Um. So we're we're getting towards the end of the show, and I and I do want to read this one, uh, Doctor B, to 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 get 
uh, some input on it. Hmm. Uh, this is not to be negative uh, towards you or anything uh, like that. This was also in a conversation in the chat. But uh, for some reason, uh, high functioning really bugs me for some reason. I don't know why it bugs me. When someone talks oh. about uh, you being ASD, uh, is there any terms that just drive you mad? Uh, we are all unique, and uh, what bugs me may not bugs uh, be the same for you. I, I actually I have a sort of unique perspective on that because my experience straddles the line of both worlds, the clinical and uh, the colloquial. And that high functioning label is a clinical term that mm -hmm. I, I have a big beef about my industry and how we haven't done enough to educate people on the proper on the way we use terms, even things like mild depression. Well, to a lot of folks, that would be no big deal. But the, the thing is, even something like mild depression is still massively significant and impactful in their life enough that they got that diagnostic label. And so yep. mild is only a relative clinical term in terms of its clinical impact. It already has significant enough impact that they get the they get that um, depression diagnosis. And so that high functioning label, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me because I understand the clinical usage of that word. But I but I, I think where it runs into problems is in the rest of the world that my again, my industry hasn't done a good enough job in educating people on just because someone is high functioning and technically that I, I have technically that would be my label there's still significant impact. There has to be massive significant impact to get a diagnosis in the first place. My autism is massively impactful on my ability to maintain relationships. Um, and I, I will start crying if I get into it too much here. But that, yeah, that mi those mild labels, those high-functioning labels, those are in relative clinical terms. And so that's, yeah. Um, in terms of other things, uh, terms that really just make me angry about things, I, I'm pretty chill about most terms um, as long as the follow-up words after them are respectful. That's the big thing. If their behavior and their follow-up language is respectful, I'm pretty chill about most things. Okay. I think we all just want to be treated as as human beings who are deserving of respect and value. And I think sometimes it feels like the, the clinical terms um, can, for an individual, undermine that sense. Undermine that sense of being equal and equally worthy in the world. And if I'm not sure what's underlying it for, you know, the lovely person who wrote in with that comment, but it can feel diminishing either diminishing of the seriousness of your, you know, how your experience in the world can be challenging for you and also diminishing that, you know, other people might see you as either, well, then you're equally capable of doing everything like me and they miss out on the variability in your experience and they don't see what you see. And I think that's pretty difficult to someone who's not neurotypical either. I, I get that. And as someone who's, you know, if I look, look at it through a cultural lens, um, sometimes people miss the my experience as someone of color, for example, like not to change the subject from the piece around autism or clinical terms, but just to understand sometimes these experiences leave out broad swaths of who we are and how we experience the world. So. Yeah, um, I, f I like to think of clinical language 
as um, painting a picture in broad strokes. And if and that's how I understand it. It's a quick, it's a shorthand way to communicate a lot of information about possible manifestations to other clinicians. There's not, I, I used this example before and I'll use it again. There's nine symptoms of depression of which you must meet five. Okay. Something like there's thousands of variations. And if someone were to communicate to me that someone has a depression diagnosis, that gives me a rough idea of what they may be experiencing. It's up to me mm -hmm. to figure out if I was still working with people, um, what their individual experience is. And that's mm -hmm. that I think that's, that's just a, um, a short circuit between clinical language and colloquial usage that I, I, I hope I can try and fix in some small way. Um, we're going to do one more question. Um, I'm going to uh, put this one out there. I, I don't know if this one is appropriate. I'm still learning which questions, you know, are good to ask and which ones are not. Uh, but, uh, uh, Barney nine, uh, says any recommendations for a parent going through a potential diagnosis of autism? I am a bit worried. Well, um, at, you know, for individual recommendations, we can't give those, but a, a, that, that sounds like a great thing to talk with a mental health professional about. If you've got very individualized worries, um, a, a good mental health professional is going to be able to help you with your individualized worries in a way we never could. Yeah. Um, but okay. a book I particularly like. Uh, on the topic of autism, uh, Tony Atwood's writings are really great. Um, I like Tony Atwood's writings. Okay. Um, I think uh, we're going to uh, wind things down here. Uh, Dr. B. Mitra, thank you so much for this conversation. This was uh, fantastic. I hope everybody in the chat enjoyed it. Uh, Mitra, Dr. B., where can people find you? Uh, so, at Mitra Jordan is just fine. I also have a website, um, mitrajordan.com. Um, and there, there's contact information. You can always feel free to email me um, or just find me on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and I, my, my information's like right there. Um, that's where I am <laughs> on all the socials. Uh, the Dr. B, uh, two, two E's, because couldn't get the doc, couldn't get just Dr. We're, B that was taken apparently. We're we're going to get it one day. I know it. Oh, we're I, get it. <laughs> yeah, no. It's the Dr. B on all the things. And uh every uh, every other I'm streaming on Mondays whether it's for Take This or over at Geeks Like Us for Clinical Role with a bunch of mental health types. Um that I'm streaming on Mondays and every other Tuesday. So, you know, follow me, follow Take This at Take This Org and check it all out. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Trevor. Uh, you can also find me on Difficulty Class on Fridays. We talk about D&D &D and have some fun. Uh, but I want to thank uh, Sasha for moderating today, uh, Codename Entertainment, and take this for uh, letting us have these conversations in an open space. And we really do hope that uh, everybody uh, enjoyed uh, the conversation. And we hope that you'll be here with us next week in the chat at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on twitch.tv slash c and &E But until then, take care of yourself. <laughs>